everybody, I'm Jason Klaus, and I want to give you kind of a brief rundown of what you can expect here on our family of shows under the Jackal Creations Podcast Network. It starts every Tuesday at midnight with our flagship show, the Klaus to the Heart Podcast, where we look at the brighter things of life, the silver lining, if you will. On Thursdays, I'm joined by Jim Burgett as we bring you Tea Time, our unique views and commentary on the world around us, sports, entertainment, and anything that comes across our radar. That's available on Thursdays beginning at 1 a.m. And then on Saturday mornings at midnight, we step into Wendy's World, where I am joined by Wendy McBride Washburn as she recounts some of the funniest moments and stories of her life. And they are some of the absolute best stories that I have ever heard. And then rounding out our family of podcasts here, the Turnbuckle Time Machine, where I'm joined by Pope Brandon Brownson, Rex Havoc, and Tim Williams as we look back on some of the biggest moments and events in professional wrestling history. You can check them out all on the Anchor.fm app or exclusively on Spotify. The following is a Klaus of the Heart presentation, rated M for mature audiences only. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of the family under 18 years of age. I'm Jason Klaus, and this is not your typical wrestling podcast. We do not focus exclusively on the current product. Instead, we look back on the shows and the moments that helped make professional wrestling what it is here today. So join me and my friends, Tim Williams, Rex Havoc, and the incomparable Pope Brandon Brownson as we look back on some of the most iconic and infamous moments in the history of professional wrestling. So grab your foam fingers, strap on your fanny packs, and join us as we take a trip in the turnbuckle time machine. Hey everybody, welcome to the turnbuckle a time machine here as part of the Jack Oak Creations Podcast Network. I'm Jason Klaus. I'm being joined by a threesome, but it's not our regular threesome. And I know that sounds a little bit funky. And now that I've said that, it, it's both screw it. You, you know what I mean? It's Sunday at noon. What do you expect, right? Good night, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in. <laughs> We have an overall quartet here th- this week, and we are very excited to tackle this episode. Joining me right now is our is two of our, our regular co-hosts on here, Tim Williams. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Not too bad. How's great. everybody? It's great to actually hear you, and I, and I, I, I thank can you. see you, and this is wonderful. Thank you. The... Uh... The wonders of McDonald's Wi-Fi. 
Also joining us uh, back this week is Rex Havoc. Rex, nice, nice to see you, sir. Nice to see you as well, sir. Uh, it's good to be back. Thankfully, I didn't have to be uh, I was a little detained last week, but this week we're doing something real good. So yeah, I'm we happy. are. I am too. I'm I'm looking forward, you know, to covering this this particular event because as a kid. One of my, I mean, one of my earliest big event, you know, me- memories that I have, and we'll we'll get to that here in a second. Um, however, conspicuous by his absence is one Paul Brandon Brownson, and and we, and we kind of wondered if he was going to be the one that was going to have like a snafu of sorts with a uh, a noon you know, call time to record this episode. So hopefully um, he's able to to join us at some point during the, the program here. But who is with us is a just an awesome guy, a, a personal friend of mine, as well as a, a colleague at our place of, of employment. But more importantly, at this point, more of, on the friend side of the spectrum, he's actually the one that brought this show to the table. Um, so please welcome, gentlemen, and everybody else, Mr. Taylor Baker. How's it going, Taylor? Good, good to be seen. It's good to hear you, sir. Uh, it's 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 a little bit different because we're used to to seeing each other in a more professional environment. Yeah. So, uh, we're here to have fun today. My professional. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's certainly in here, Taylor. So don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just a few dudes hang, hanging out and talking old school wrestling, and we are going back all the way to 1986, if you can believe that. Um, now, the day this show happened, I was about two days away from turning ten. And and Steve, I know you and I, or Rex, I'm sorry, you and I, you know, are we were born in in the same year. So at this point, we're like nine years old when WrestleMania two takes place. Tim, 1986. How how old are you? I would I would have just turned 14. Is that right? Yeah. And Taylor, I was a hot five going on six. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. We, our memories of this event, the time period really is going, you know, it's, it's across the board. Obviously, you know, Tim is a little bit older than, than us, not by much, but, you know, a little bit. Rex and I, we, we are the same age here. Um, and before we get to the actual breakdown of WrestleMania two. I wanted to do something a little bit different. I, I wanted to give some like highlights in the world that was 1986. Our president was Ronald Reagan. He had just he is in his second term here as as president of the United States. And and you look back on like the cost of living, how much things were, how much was a gallon of gasoline, you know what I mean? Th- things like this. Like in in 86, a gallon of gas was 89 cents. 
Can you imagine that in this day and age? Just absolutely insane. The average income is $22,400. Just crazy to me. These, and that's, you know, that's not a bad living at that point, right? Right. The, the 80s were such, especially the mid 80s, were, were such a, a monumental time because technology was very much becoming a thing. I mean, it was dominating just about every possible aspect of our everyday lives. Now, as nine-year-olds and Taylor as as a five-year-old, you know, we don't really have a grasp on that because our focus is on action figures. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's on cartoons, you know, and as far as, as animation goes, that would have been and your big, you know, your your bigger movies like your Back to the Future, the Ghostbusters, with with all of the special effects and, and things of this nature. But it was really cartoons, and we're talking about like, in my opinion, what could be like a heyday of of, of classic shows like He Man and GI Joe and Thunder. You know, just, absolutely, the Thundercats were huge back yeah. then voltron you yeah. know that was I transformers mean, like oh yeah very Every- good one yeah yeah we got we got to live the dream of being able to uh wake up almost every day with some type of morning cartoon yeah. get home from school we'd have that block from three to five where we had four good cartoon shows on in a row and then yeah. saturday and sunday was just heaven yeah Oh, so yeah, you're we not, got lucky. I mean, Saturday mornings, sitting in front of your TV with a bowl of cereal, and and just loving life, right? And everything was kind of like for for my brother and I. Everything was like the appetizer before the main course, which was wrestling. And you know, sit, if for for us, it was on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Yep. On channel two, I think. Yeah. And uh, I just, uh, man, this is such a pivotal time in my fandom. Like, I I love 1986 and 87 um, because I really started to get really my feet set into this fandom of professional wrestling. And make no mistake about it, it was all about Hulkamania. You know what I mean? It For, for me... It it lived and 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 breathed through Hulk Hogan. Now, Tim, I realize that you are not the 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 biggest Hogan fan, and that's fine. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. We can still be friends. So, in <laughs> in 1986, who is your guy? Uh, Roddy Piper would have still been probably my number one, and then right on his heels, even. Even as part of the Hart Foundation and not really breaking out yet, but Bret Hart was probably my my number two at that point already. Um, so I was very happy. We'll, we'll talk about it later, obviously, but I was very happy with his performance. And uh, other than that, um, I you know I, I say that that I wasn't a Hogan fan, but I can't deny, I, you know, I can't deny <laughs> his. Uh, 
his presence and, and his contribution. I mean, when you were in the arena and he was there, which I only experienced a couple times in WWF, I did a couple times in w, when he was in WCW, that didn't count. But right. the electricity, I mean, there was no other way to explain it. It was electric. The crowd was electric. I can't explain the feeling to anybody that was not there live to witness uh, the popularity of, of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, it was, I mean, he was all over the place, literally all over the place. Um, okay, a couple of, a couple more, like, uh, tidbits, facts, and th things of this nature from 1986. Uh, the big story, especially um, in the first part of the year, was the explosion of the Challenger shuttle. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I remember this very, very vividly the morning of. Oh yeah. Um, were you, now were till or um, Rex? Jeez, oh, peace. Oh, long day. Rex, <laughs> were were did you guys have have it on in class when when that happened, or did you see it like after the fact? I want to say we were actually in the library uh, at the time. And we were down there getting books or whatever. And they happened to have it on and the teacher call is over. And we got to watch it, which I thought was cool. And then we saw what would happen uh, there. And then I think what was weirder about it wasn't the fact that, you know, we all actually saw it happen. None of us really, I guess none of us really put it together. Like, you know, this was, you know, there were people on there or anything. Because literally within like a half an hour of this happening, they sent all the kids home for mm. the day. So I don't think we had time to process it in school. Um, but yeah, it was, it's one of those things that's just kind of burned into your brain. That you that you don't forget because um, uh, of just the magnitude of the situation. You're like, this is cool. We actually get to watch a a real rocket launching up and everything looking good. And then all of a sudden, you just you know white smoke, and you're like, well, where to go? Because right. you know, back then, the age that we were, we're like, okay, I know there's white smoke, but it shouldn't be that big of a plume. Okay. Yeah, it was a big deal because it, it, that crew f featured the first uh, school teacher as part of, of the team that was heading up. So um, other bits, of, uh, other news of, of interest, Haley's Comet came as close to the planet as, as it would for the last time in the 20th century. So that was kind of cool. I remember that being a thing. Uh, the big movies of 1986, we have Top Gun, Crocodile Dundee, uh, The Karate Kid Part 2, Aliens, The Color of Money, Ruthless People, uh, the popular television shows were Magnum P.I., <laughs> Dynasty, Fame, Cheers, Family Ties, The A-Team, one of my favorites. Oh. Um, Highway to Heaven, The Cosby Show. I mean, uh, just 
pretty much any big show that we watched as a kid was a big thing in 1986. So it's kind of fun to go back and, and look back at things like this. Now, Taylor, you came to us while you, you commented on a post that we put up on Facebook. What shows would you like us to break down? Why WrestleMania 2? WrestleMania 2 was like my favorite one. Like my parents, they would never like pay for the pay-per-views back then. I used to have to wait till they went on tape and then I'll watch sure. And I, I like would go rent this every time it was available at the store till it was on sale at the store. And then my mom bought it for me. Like that was my pay-per-view. It was like three cities in one night. Like it was just like, it was like some from 2020 way back then. Like they weren't doing nothing like that back then. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I totally get it, man. Because I, I, Somewhere in this office, I, I still have the VHS tapes of the of WrestleMania 1, 2, and 3 in the big elaborate yeah, that, plastic boxes. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I still have mine. And I'll, I mean, I, I don't care if they play or not. That is, I mean, I get it. You said you, you went to the video store and rented it. Jeff and I did the exact same thing. To the mm -hmm. point to where, like like you said, when it finally came down in price, my parents would 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 buy them for us. When a pay per view event or a big a big videotape show or or whatever was released, within the first few months, it was no shit like ninety dollars. Yeah. So you had to really start waiting for it to come down. WrestleMania three was the first one that I remember when it came out, it was for, it was like for 40 bucks. And um, anyway, I, I mean, you said the the videotape thing. I'm like, I know, man, I get it. Hey, Pope Brandon, Pope Brandon Brownson, I'm told, is joining us. Pope, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Yes. Pope, this is Taylor. Howdy, howdy, hey, Marina. Hey, what's up, Chief? This is Pope. He is the comedy re relief of the show, and he's one of my favorite people. Just fantastic. Pope, you're coming in. The only thing that, that you missed is I kind of went back to the year of 1986, highlighted some of the news headlines, things of this nature, what the world looked like. Oh, uh, yes, 1986. What a time to be a sperm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I did a lot I mean... of swimming. A whole lot of swimming. <laughs> oh, Taylor, you're in for a treat, brother. I didn't say Taylor's gone already. <laughs> He's like, fuck this. I am out. I am out. What's some fun to my neighbors, yeah, though? Couple of nuts, dick, and asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he was all, all right. Fun. Fantastic. So, uh, Pope, we are. Uh, I mean, I was just. I mean, I was setting the stage to start breaking down R WrestleMania two here. Um, now, you you obviously were not around in in this time frame, but you've gone back and and you've watched the show. I assume. 
Uh, oh yeah, I uh, honestly the reason I'm late is because I was up late last night watching WrestleMania too. Okay. Well, I, I fell I asleep see. with uh, King Kong Bundy's dancing in my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So we'll. You came in at a great point here. So let's let's start breaking this thing down. It is, and I misspoke last week when when we did Starcade when we were talking about the 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 pay per view the pay per view concept for professional wrestling. I know, and I've known for a long time that the actual first pay per view event under the World Wrestling Federation banner was the Wrestling Classic in, yep. in November of 1985. Now, WrestleMania 2, I had er- erroneously, it, it made it sound like I was saying that WrestleMania 2 was the first pay-per-view for the WWF. It is the first WrestleMania that was on pay-per-view for the WWF. Um Taylor, one of the things that you mentioned when we were talking about, you know, why this show was 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 special to you is the concept. And it was unheard of at the time. But this is what makes for me WrestleMania two really stand out because it was held in three different arenas in three different time zones. Mm -hmm. And it had all of all of the. All of, of, of the potential to be a shit show. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But it, it really wasn't. I mean, it, you had your hiccups, you had your hangups, but you're, you're going to have that when you embark on something this huge. Now, this takes place. There's a lot of different weird facts about this WrestleMania. Like, like for one, it's not on a Sunday. This was held on a Monday night. Monday, April the 7th, 1986. They would start off in Uniondale, New York at the Nassau Coliseum. Rosemont, Illinois, which is a, a suburb of, of Chicago. They have the, the Rosemont Horizon, which is you know still being utilized to this day for big events. Um, and it's also I- a and it's also a fantastic name for a pop punk band. I'm just realizing. Rosemont Horizon, I'd fucking bop them. <laughs> and uh, they close it out on the West Coast, Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. They have a combined attendance uh, between all three venues of 40,085 fans. That's pretty impressive in, yeah. in anybody's. In anybody's book. Um, Can I just say how, like, mind-blowing it is that here we have WrestleMania in three locations, and they did not draw as many fans as, like, one football stadium show today. That's not a knock on the show. That's just like a, wow, look at how far we've come. Oh, for sure. That's that's crazy to me. I thought that number was going to be a hell of a lot higher, Bash. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, just look at the year a year later, and more than double, and more than double. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> that's true, um, and I I think if you go back and you look at 
the Rose, the the Chicago part of the show. Um, there's a lot of empty seats in the top of the building, and you know I don't know, and I I can't imagine now that I sit here and think about it, like all of these venues, Nassau, Rosemont, and L.A. With the rings set up, they have the capability of going 20,000 strong for a damn near a sellout. So for 40,085 fans, you're right. So which which market, I mean, it, I would imagine if of the three, it would be Los Angeles because that there's just so far away from home base, which is the Northeast, and they've always had a stranglehold, you know, coming into the Midwest part of the United States, Detroit, sh- Chicago, um, you know, those areas. But L.A., I mean, this is when the WWF is really starting its big expansion. You know, it's worldwide, you know, ed- expansion. The show kicks off in New York, obviously, because of, of the time zones. And you will notice and we talked about this when we covered R- WrestleMania 3. This is the first time they have utilized the overhead screens that would that would simulcast the other portions of the show to the fans in the arena. Um, so we'll go around the horn here, except for for Pope, because you were just you know swimming at this point. Tim, do you remember the build-up? Do you remember the lead-up, the promotion, everything that was happening as they were building towards WrestleMania 2? Aside from Saturday night's main event, we'll we'll talk about that when we get closer to the main event of WrestleMania here. But do you do you remember what all went into how they they advertised th- this show? Um, no, not, not necessarily. Uh, I mean like the big matches. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if you're going to mention the Bob Orton thing when he just comes out one day as a boxer. And, uh, obviously that leads to, uh, Mr. T versus Piper, but, um, the big ones like that stick out to me and obviously Hogan and Bundy, the build up to that one. Um, I think honestly, I don't think there was a lot of buildup uh, for a lot of the matches. Like uh, it seems like some of them were just thrown on there just to just to give those guys a payday. But um, and, and the battle royal, uh, I remember like everybody in school. I would I would have been in seventh or eighth grade. Everybody in school just talking about the football players in the battle royal. Obviously, William the Refrigerator Perry was huge at the time. Um, and you know, and uh, you know, they gave they gave Bill Freilich uh, a lot of face time leading up to that too, and I kind of thought that he might do something afterwards. But um, yeah, I mean, like the big stuff kind of sticks out, but um, but yeah, not uh, not a whole lot. But I mean, it seems like it seems like they did use Saturday Night's main event to uh, you know to to set up most of that stuff. Yeah, that I mean, that was back in a time when Saturday night's main event was still, I mean, I don't think it had done its first full year yet. 
uh, by the time they started building up for for WrestleMania two, and 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 the big one was the one that they had in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, that's where we saw uh, it was Hogan and Don Morocco in the main event. This is where Bundy comes in and and avalanches him and breaks his ribs and the whole nine yards. Uh, you mentioned the the Bob Orton thing um, coming out. You know, as a boxer, he's going to fight Mr. T. This this is what sets up for T and Piper. You know, I don't know if you really needed to go that route because you still had more head. You had more than enough heat coming out of WrestleMania one, and right. you know, it, but I mean, I get it. You know, it's at this at now that I'm older and I look at things a little bit differently. I get it. Um, for me. Uh, well, Steve or Rex, when do you remember any of of the build up? I know it's fucked up. Do you remember any of 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 the build up for for WrestleMania aside from Saturday night's main event? Saturday night's main event was their was their uh, best way to put it. Saturday night's main event was kind of their Raw of today. That was their way to get everything through. One of the matches that kind of floats under the radar but had a nice long good feud going was uh macho man and george Steele, which was on in chicago new york new york okay um there they had a good long-standing feud going by that point um so that storyline was pushed uh really well and i remember that one um the bulldogs versus the dream team that had a good push going to it um had a very good lead in uh to it as a matter of fact they just put on the network the coliseum home video of the british bulldogs that led all the way up that led all the way up through that i was actually watching that uh they have a lot of good uh, mostly focused on them and the Hart Foundation, um, which, you know, the, they had an epic, you know, battle through 86 and 87. Uh, but, yeah, again, tag match was there. It was real good. Then you had some of the matches that were, you know, like you said, thrown together, but uh, still worked. Uh, some of the finishes were wonky. I mean, right out of the gate, what happened in Long Island to start off the show, that finish was kind of like, we're not sure exactly how we're going to end this, so it's going to end this way right. uh, type of deal. But Brother, don't get me started on the fucking finishes yet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, the to really look at anything else besides the Hogan and Bundy one, which what was weird about the Hogan-Bundy one was – they, Hogan was either on Saturday Night's main event. Hogan was either the first match or he was the second match, and they always had a match after him. And that's the same thing that happened in Phoenix because they ran the angle of you know you getting to watch him being carted into the ambulance, the ambulance driving away, and they're doing the updates as the other match is going on after he gets crushed in the corner. Um, on that, so you know, it was, the re- it was a unique time. The reason why they always had Hogan's matches on second 
first or second. Because Saturday night's main event came on at 11.30 on a Saturday night. And at that time, <laughs> like as a nine-year-old, it was difficult to stay up that late. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And the only reason why we're tuning in is to see Hulk Hogan. And you can't have him come on at 12, you know, 1245 or, or, or something like that. You, you know what I'm saying? So that's why his matches were, I mean, more, more often than not, they were second. They would have the opening match, which would be like a Jake Roberts versus uh, Kamala or something like that. Two big stars, because at that time we didn't see a lot of, you know, big star versus big star. It was a lot of squash matches. That's what oh, you got. Saturday night's main event was about the only time that we would see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I really want to see Jake Roberts versus Kamala now. That sounds like a fucking barn burner. <laughs> it's happened more than a few times, especially down in. Uh, I know world class they did it, and I know. It was a, it, yeah, it, but the world too. class, there's not a giant snake. There was the. <laughs> let me just throw this out there. There was the classic match on Saturday night's main event when Honky Tonk Man reveals himself to be, or I'm sorry, Kim Chi reveals himself to be Honky Tonk Man, leading yes. up to WrestleMania three. Yes. Yes. Yeah, oh, I remember that, and that was fantastic. Way to go back in the, in the wayback machine, there, Tim. That was that was awesome. I, uh, I'm I mean, full are, of useless knowledge. We are on the turnbuckle time machine. <laughs> All right, this thing opens up in Nassau Coliseum. Vince McMahon is there. He is calling the show with Susan St. James. Does anybody know why Susan St. James was was in this role? I have no fucking idea. She was part of she was part of one of the uh, there was a comedy that she was on that she was starring with uh, one of the girls from Saturday Night Live, and it's escaping my head at the time. And she was just one of the. Uh, You're you're talking about Kate Nally. Yeah, that but was the reason that Jason is looking yes. for is because she was sleeping with Dig Ebersaw. She was married to him. Oh, she was married and, to him. And okay, and Dick Ever- I was trying to make Dick it trashier. <laughs> was uh, was you know he's the one that kind of brought the whole Saturday Night's main event concept to life through NBC, and he also had had a hand in producing part of WrestleMania two here. Um, the the show opens up with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who we just re- recently lost, um, un- unfortunately, against the magnificent Mor- Morocco. On paper, this is a fantastic matchup. Two t- two big, powerful guys, two well-established guys. Um, Orndorff is now, you know. The baby face here, Morocco, very much a heel with, with Mr. Fuji. They get four minutes and ten seconds. And for an opening matchup, I know we talked about this last week with, with Starcade. I am not a big fan of a non-finish for an opening match, especially for a pay-per-view or a super card, a tentpole event. 
like WrestleMania too. Taylor, what what was your what was your opinion on on this matchup here? Yeah, it went too quick, but I Morocco was a heel, but I liked him back in back in the day. Right. Yeah. Paul. Oh fucking boy! All right, let's get this shit so started. <laughs> so the four minutes that this match got to be a match were actually really good. I was really getting into the ways they were telling the work, the arm story. Uh, I definitely, I think it was uh, Paul Orndorff who was in an arm ringer. He used the ropes to like reverse it, but then Morocco rolled through with it and reversed the reversal. I thought that was like the coolest fucking spot ever. And then it ends on a bullshit finish. And that was the moment right. where I realized, oh, we might be in trouble here, boys. <laughs> I uh, I counted. This show had more bullshit finishes than it had clean finishes. So that yeah. was fun. Uh, I think that it ultimately wound up being like 12 matches, 7 bullshit finishes. Fuck me. Also, a thing that happened this WrestleMania... I don't know who the timekeepers were, but they rung the bell for everything in the intro. Man gets introduced, ring the bell like seven times. Then he gets introduced again, ring it seven more times. Then the next guy comes out, ring it seven more times. I was that's how it sh- used to be. Yeah. That's oh, how it I hated that. <laughs> By the time we were in Chicago, I wanted to shove some mallets up asses. You want to Look, do that in, in the sixties and seventies? Professional wrestling was was presented on on the same level as boxing. That's and fine. That's fine. I don't mind that. That bell got so fucking annoying. Let me listen to the introductions, you sons of bitches. <laughs> you don't got to get hot about it. I mean, like, dude, by the end of it, I felt like I was in Edgar Allan Poe's The Bells. Rex, what was your opinion on this? Uh, like Pope said, really good match. Uh, you know, you had two big, strong guys, uh, almost similar build. This was getting into the point where, you know, Morocco was starting to, I think, come near the end of his run uh, there because he was still with uh, Mr. Fuji at the time. Um. Match was good overall, but yeah, the the finish, and what was funnier was the finish almost surprised the workers as much as it did the fans, because like you're watching the end of the match, and you can literally see it on their faces, like they're asking the referee, "What the hell are we doing?" <laughs> right. Like right. the match ended, you know, you want to tell us real quick. The ending so we can you know say it right and uh so i mean it just had a lost ending but everything from bell until they went outside was beautiful it was well told Tim. uh so i don't know if this was one of those matches that was just kind of thrown together at the at the last minute it seems like it but if they didn't uh, advertise it as a battle of the pile drivers. They should have because Morocco was using the tombstone before it became the tombstone. They were calling it an inverted pile driver at the time. 
right. obviously Orndorff used the pile driver as his finisher. So they could have used that. And like these guys were saying, if they were only going to give him four minutes, they shouldn't have wrestled. They should have just got out there and brawled the whole time and then had it go out and uh, end on a count out. I mean, I did like what they did, but if it's going to end like that, why wouldn't you just brawl for four minutes? Right. Yeah, it's certainly a a different time back then. I mean, you you can tell that not just with with the production and the graphics and all and all of that stuff, but the way the matches were were contested, the way that they were done, it's a completely di- different uh, time frame here. Um, number two, and 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 before we we get into this, the one cool thing that I appreciated about the breakdown on how they put this show, how they formatted the show with the three different locations. Every city had a main event and every city had a championship match. Like I thought that that was very smart booking on, on their part for the New York audience. They got the macho man, Randy Savage uh, with a title offense against George, the animal steel the Intercontinental Championship is on the line. Savage is like two months in, into his reign as champion, having won the title from, from Tito Santana. Again, not a lot of time here, but um, they get five minutes and ten seconds. But the story that they told in that five minutes plus was off the charts. So, yeah, they lost more than a few turnbuckles. And- <laughs> which uh i it's it's a rarity that we ever saw george get into two turnbuckles in a match it was always one <coughs> he always tore his one open and then uh after the match was over he would take care of the second one this match was like oh we ran out of fluff too early we need another one right. so we're gonna quickly fluff up this one too uh Again, another good solid match that you know made sense. He, you know, he his character at the time enamored with and amazed with Elizabeth. And back then, who, who wasn't? wasn't? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was a sperm. <laughs> yeah, but well, okay, whatever. Paul. Look, I had to get that in there one more time. <laughs> I get it. But I mean. It it was it was a really good storyline that was told. It was a good uh, story that led into the match. They made it made sense the whole time. Uh, Savage gets the weird pinfall on it, and then just the rollout. Right. But I mean, overall, you know, overall, I'd say first two matches out of the gate really good, with the exception of the finishes. Tim. Uh, you know. I, I kind of forget about that feud when you think about like the matches that Randy Savage had and the feuds that he had, I kind of forget about that feud, but I actually really enjoyed all the matches that those guys always had with each other. Cause they were, they were different. I mean, they were, they were definitely different than the matches that Randy Savage would have with, with just about everybody else, obviously. But um, yeah, I thought that that was a, uh, I, I was actually kind of into that whole whole thing. And I always, was just waiting at the time, just because George Steele was older, I was just waiting for WWF to start jobbing him out. And right. uh, they never really did. Um, so I was just kind of half expecting that always in those matches, just uh, 
for him to like lose to the elbow and then start dropping down the card, but it never really happened. So yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed uh, enjoyed this match. The one thing that I took away from this match, aside from the wonky pinfall and stuff, Taylor, I don't know. I mean, aside from Hulk Hogan, I don't know of too many guys that kicked out of a Randy Savage elbow off the top rope. But that's what happened during the course of this match with, with George Steele. Uh, what what was your opinion on, on this matchup? Well, this any Randy Savage match, he is one of my favorites, so I don't think he had any bad matches. <laughs> he, that's, that's pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> George Animal Steel, he was just big as all hell. And as a kid, I'm like, I don't think he got a chance. Like, I think Macho Man about to get broken half, and he ended up winning. Right. Yeah, uh, Savage at this point, very much a chicken shit heel. Hope, where where are you on on this contest? Besides I the bell wish, I wish, I wish it would have been longer. George the Animal Steel was probably my first favorite old school wrestler. Okay. I discovered him at a young age with the green tongue ugly fucking face eating the turnbuckle found out he was from michigan oh brother i was hooked i loved this match i just wish it would have been longer that's uh she, even even what what was that that's what she said ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, i've heard that a few times but anyway um <laughs> Shit, I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> Great, you broke him, Taylor. Thanks. Uh, no, good match. Wish it would have been longer. Fucking love George Steele. And a lot of like fans in our in our age bracket didn't at this point, you know, because we were newer fans to the product or whatever. We didn't realize that before George Steele was this version of himself, the nice and and, and all that in in his infatuation with Elizabeth and all that. In the seventies, he was a constant main eventer at the garden against Bruno San Martino. Like he was you know, very heavily f- figured in. Not a lot of people realize that. Like there are two stages of Steele's career. One where he was this 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 feared badass that had the potential to take out anybody, including the almighty Bruno San Martino, to what he would become here in 1986. And obviously this is with the expansion and the focus on the younger fans. I mean, this guy is front and center. And looking back, I'm glad that he can look back on his career he has an intercontinental championship match at a wrestlemania on his resume and against randy savage and it gets no bigger than that now this next match eh, this was like a coming out party for me in terms of being exposed and introduced to jake the snake roberts Taylor, what's your favorite George Wells match? Because that's who Roberts t- took on here and, and beat soundly in three minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah, uh, George Wells, I wouldn't know him if he was on his podcast. 
Uh, this is the, really the first big stage that Jake Roberts is going to perform on. Really, I mean, the whole gimmick, the snake, is it's all on display here. Obviously, I get that's why they put George Wells in, in this in this spot because you don't really want Jake coming in and just kicking the shit out out of another big strong baby face. You know, I I feel like in in this case, WrestleMania two was was used as to showcase the big stars that they had, but to be the launching pad for this next crop. And Jake the Snake Roberts was very much a part of that. Tim, would, would you agree with that? Uh, I do. And I had actually seen him in Mid-South uh, before he went to WWF, but I, I'd only seen Mid-South sporadically. So when I heard that he was going to WWF, I was like, no way, that guy's way too skinny. Uh, he's just going to get destroyed. But obviously in Mid-South, he didn't have the snake or anything like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, he got over over quick. And I think one of the announcers had mentioned that um, George Wells was his toughest test to date. And, um, and and that was probably true. Like up until that point, you know, he had he'd just beaten the regular prelim guys, I think. So, uh, you know, George Wells... He did get some victories on like primetime wrestling uh, right. leading up to that. Um, but uh, I believe, and I wanted to say too, this this whole uh, pay-per-view, it seemed like it was a lot of these guys' last hurrah. And that's definitely the case for George Wells because right after that, he ended up in world-class wrestling as Master G. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pope, what's what's your thoughts on this? George Wells go, goes down to the the DDT against Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, I went into this match ready to shit on it. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. Like it was a really fun back and forth. Kind of has me curious about this George Wells fellow. I think I might have to do some follow up on him just because I enjoyed watching him work. Um, I think the big thing for me was how weird it was seeing Jake make his entrance, but not have the music yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just really illustrated to me how much Jake's music kind of completed this package. Like, I didn't realize how important the music was in particular with Jake to the presentation, until I watched him walk out with no music and a giant wriggling burlap sack. And I couldn't help but think to myself, no, no, this isn't right. Something's off. Right. Uh, Rex, what's, what's your thought here? I, you know, I almost said that this was the first time I really thought that they had put an enhancement talent in the ring against somebody on a show and then it popped into my mind that they put SD Jones up against Bundy in Mania 1. Right. Uh I think it was a unique kind of change of pace for it to see it happen. Uh the the match for what they had was good. It wasn't anything spectacular. Um the DDT he was able to show it but it didn't really have the impact that it should have uh back then. Um, Brandon's right too. Just 
a lot of the guys didn't have entrances coming in. I think the only two guys that really had got entrance music was the Bulldogs and Hogan. I think those were the only two guys that I remember that actually had uh, ring music going down to the ring. Corporal so, fucking Kershner. Cor- yeah, I, I, I was going to say Corporal Kershner stands out. And, and, and this is when entrance music was was becoming a thing. Like didn't, they, they uh, junk, slow- didn't Junk Hair Dog have his too? He, I don't yes. know. I watched, what, did he? Yes. They, they came out to, to, to grab them cakes. In, in Los Angeles. Oh, not I want. Oh yeah, that's right. They had they had the wrestling album out by then. Right. Yeah. All right. The uh, the main event of of the Nassau portion of this, uh, because that's that's another thing that I I really remember in the advertising and the promotion was the three main events: Hogan Bundy, obviously for for L.A. For Chicago, it was actually the Battle Royal that got all of the uh, all of the hype. Even though it yes. would be the tag team title match that would would close out the the Chicago portion. This for Nassau is the boxing match between Mr. T and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Thirteen minutes, fourteen seconds. <clears throat> Mr. T gets a disqualification victory. Uh, I, I'm torn on this, Taylor. Like, I, I, I get the concept, and as a kid, I was all in on this. But when you look back on it, and then you hear the stories of just how much Piper just did not want to work with Mr. T, and for and for the reasons that he laid out um, in subsequent in- interviews and and things of this nature. Um, What's your opinion on this, and and should this have been the main event of of New York? Uh, I I think uh, Rant Macho Man should have been the main event of New York, but at the same time, like with Mr. T and like with the football players and everything on here, this was like the first time you seen like non wrestlers on wrestling, and. Uh, it was just something everybody wanted to see. Mr. T was hot. He's a, had the A-team. He had a cartoon yeah. back then. Everybody wanted to see him. The Bears, they had just won the Super Bowl, so everybody wanted to see them on there. Like It, it was the first time they had like nine wrestlers on a pay-per-view wrestling against regular wrestlers. On this level, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Tim... You're you're more old school wrestling, man. What's what's your thoughts on this? Uh, I did not. I'll just say <laughs> I did not like the whole boxing deal in, in wrestling. Um, Piper, like I said, was my number one guy at this point in WWF. Um, so I thought it was kind of a waste. I mean, I, I totally understand why they did what they did. Uh, but I felt that they wasted Roddy Piper. I mean, just a- as a kid, I, I would have rather seen him in a in a wrestling match than a boxing match with Mr. T. And I was never big on bringing celebrities in either. Um, so, uh, I mean, it, it is what it is. I'm glad that it ended the way that it did with, uh, you know, Piper maintaining his heat and everything. But, uh, but yeah, I was... I was never really crazy about it. Okay. 
Uh, Rex, what's what's your thoughts here? Mr. T gets a WrestleMania win over Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Can you believe it? You mean it, brother? Rex, I can't hear you. You mean it, brother? This portion of the show is for the minds that listen. (laughs) Sorry. We're doing this portion of the show in American Sign Language. Well, you know, I have have a few cousins who are deaf, so. But, uh, um, honestly, it didn't surprise me too much, because I knew it was going to end in a smas. Um, did I believe that it would go as long as it did? No. Um, I didn't think that we would actually, for at least, what, two rounds, see an almost actual boxing match going on. Uh, anytime you ever see this happening, you think, you know, it might last a round or it might not even get halfway there and, you know, something stupid will happen or something behind. They literally ran this as an actual boxing match for two rounds. And then toward at, at the end of the second round is when you knew, you know, something was going to happen. Something was going to frustrate or whatever. And the way it went down, I don't see it as being a bad thing. Cause I actually think this is either the time that, uh, this is time this is either before it came out or right when it came out for Rocky three, when, uh, Mr. T shot that Rocky three came out in, uh, 82. 82. Yeah. But he was very, I mean, he was on the A-team, and the A-team was the hottest show on on television at at this point. Just, I mean, he was all over the place. And like Taylor said, and I forgot about it, he had a cartoon. (laughs) I I remember watching that. Now that, I mean, obviously, when I think about the cartoons that I watched as a kid, that's not one that's on top of my list, but when... When Taylor m- mentioned it, I was like, holy shit, I remember that. And, you want to and, he, deeper, and he, he also had a breakfast, had a breakfast cereal. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Now, the only reason yeah. I know about that one is because of the Pee Wee Herman movie, but... <laughs> yeah, was what was your thoughts here, Everything was getting a cartoon show. And uh, a cereal. Yeah, you did have a cereal. Nintendo had a fucking cereal for a minute. Are you kidding me? <laughs> What, what was your thoughts here, T and Piper? Oh, fuck, man. I really wanted to go into this one with an open mind, but uh, I'm not a fan of non-wrestling contests taking place in wrestling rings. It almost never looks good. And in this case, man... Last time I saw two dudes hug like that for that long, I was definitely watching gay pornography. Oh, goodness. I okay. I, I think that the Logan Paul fight was a better fight than this. But it gave us two fantastic Piper promos throughout the evening. Uh, so I'm pretty stoked about that before I completely forget. Uh 
I think Piper, after the match, said something along the lines of, you know, it's a shame I dropped Mr. T on his head because it's not like I can really damage anything up there. And I just <laughs> lost my shit. Like, oh, yeah. If Pope ever comes back as a heel, he's fucking stealing that line. Uh, hey, uh, uh, just, oh, go ahead, Pope. I was just going to say, yeah, any excuse for Piper to talk is a fantastic excuse, but... Man, the less said about the actual match, the better. I don't even think Piper came out to the bagpipes. What the fuck was up with that? Uh, I don't think really he did. Sure. Yeah, hey, uh, before we move on, I just want to uh, tell a story that Bob Orton tells after the Saturday Night's main event boxing match with with Mr. T. He said uh, <laughs> he said this quite a few times, but it was pretty funny. He said when he goes back to the locker room, Mr. T is sitting in there with an oxygen tank on and uh, he, he like offers it to Orton as he goes by and Orton's smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer and he's like, no, I'm good, brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just to show okay. you what kind of condition those guys were in. Right, right. All right, so they move on to Chicago, Rosemont Horizon, Rosemont, Illinois. Um, they also have their own championship match, but it's not what they are billing as the main event. We'll, we'll get into that here in a second, but it opens up the WWF women's title is on the line. The fabulous Moolah and Velvet McIntyre. I'm telling you, if, if you are a newer fan, you probably have no idea who Velvet McIntyre is, but back in the mid eighties late 80s that chick was huge and she and she was a big flag bearer for what they had as a women's title to hunt right because it's nothing like it is now you know it's not the the emphasis on women's wrestling in 1986 was like i don't even know what to to call it as, but it's nowhere near what what it is here and now. I mean, this I think was, I know how to call it. It was an attraction, just like midget wrestling at the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's right. You're absolutely right about that. You know, and um, I mean, that's not to shit on the work on either side, because there were some fantastic women wrestlers, and fucking Haiti Kid could go. Uh, but, yeah, it was essentially like, look at this! Do women do the fight now? And that was what it was. I don't know how I just made that noise, but I'm a little concerned. Impressive. (laughs) Uh, They get a minute and and 25 seconds. Do you think that was uh, enough time, Rex? Too much time? Where where are you at on this? Back in the day, that was standard for a women's match, honestly. Even if you go back to WrestleMania 1, where you had uh, Wendy Richter and Moolah, that's about the time they had. It was condensed down to pretty much nothing. Um, this was just a way to, you know, like like Pope said, it was an attraction match. It was like, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put this in. We got the title. We got these two girls. You never knew what girls were gonna show up show to show either, because uh, you either had. Rock and Robin, or you had Wendy Richter, 
Or you had Lilani Kai. Yeah, Lilani Kai. Arvina Whippleman. You only had like a group of maybe six girls in the uh, in the company overall. So I mean, it was it was it was good for what it was, but uh, it's about all you can really say on it. What's your thought, Tim? I mean, it it is what it is. Uh, I. I, I, I'm actually pretty familiar with this match because when the VHS came out, I don't know if you guys caught it at the end, but there's a possibility of a double nip slip from uh, Velvet McIntyre. Oh, so, my God. Uh, I, so I would uh, try to pause it at the exact spot <laughs> on the VHS to see if I could catch anything. Uh, other than so that, happy other than, you said Velvet that was the McIntyre. highlight of the match for me. So happy you said Velvet McIntyre and not Fabulous Moolah. <laughs> oh, for sure. This was yeah, about to turn into the story of you trying to pause the VHS to see Fabulous Moolah's flumpty dumpties. The <laughs> whole dynamic of the podcast was. No, that never happened. <clears throat> never. What did you, what did you yeah. think about this, Taylor? Look, looking back on this, uh, looking back at it. It was the pretty girl against the lady who looked like a damn lunch lady. I didn't want to watch it. I just <laughs> oh, great. All right. Uh, the second match of of the Chicago portion featured... I loved this match for what it was. The whole patriotic thing, the Americans versus the Soviet Union. Um <laughs> Full full display here. They build this as a flag match. I was a huge fan of Corporal Kirshner. <laughs> I loved this guy. And uh, he gets the victory over that damned Russian Nikolai Volkov. Two minutes, five seconds. Flag match. There was no way Volkov was, was, was going to have his hand raised. Right, Tim? Uh... Right, and that's got to be the biggest victory that Kirshner ever got. And uh, when I was watching this, though, I was thinking, because they, I mean, I don't know if you remember, basically they brought him in as a replacement for Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, They did a bunch of vignettes, and the vignettes were cool bringing him in, but when I finally saw him wrestle, I was like, man, there's nobody else out there on the indie scene that you could have got to give this gimmick to that's a better worker. But that's just me. but yeah, I I thought about it too. It's like it's weird seeing him get a victory over a, a bigger name like Nikolai Volkov. But what are you going to do? I mean, you, you have to do that in that situation, right. really. Oh, that's not true. You can start a riot. Well, that's I don't think I, that's, I was just going. I was just going to ask Taylor this. You know, what kind of riot? What do you think <laughs> would have broken out in Chicago of all places? Yeah. Um, had Volkov won this match, but where were you on Corporal Kirshner? Because I I feel like as a five-year-old and the gimmick that this guy had, if you were into G.I. Joe or anything <laughs> like that, this was your guy, right? I used to rock with him. I liked him. I liked Absolutely. him a lot. I knew they was going to let him win just because of the political climate back then between the Soviets, but it is what it is. It was a good match. It was very much us versus them in in that oh, no. in that day and age. Yeah. 
For as short uh, as a for as short as the match was, though, I'm surprised that he wasted a blade job. <laughs> good point. Yeah, yeah, happened a couple times. Point. Yeah, you beat I me to my. Yeah, you beat me to my comment right out of the gate was the fact that you know that that literally did feel like a wasted moment for that match. Um, you know, it it I still laugh about it to this day that. I always felt that Corporal Kirshner, in my mind, was kind of like, I don't want to call him the knockoff Sergeant Slaughter at the time, but that's kind of what he filled in as. That that's what he was. What he was. You know, yeah, so he's kind of more or less the knockoff there. And to know the fact that after that run, he became this huge, monstrous thing in japan now where he's got more money than he knows what to do with uh he actually said that he made more money in his first two years in japan than he ever made in wwe um you know the match was perfect for the time because like taylor said the political climate um they had another good long-standing feud because his feud was also with iron sheik as much as it was with yeah. Nikolai Volkov, um, they dude, I I've talked to Sheik two or three times in my life, and it's the greatest thing in the world. I love talking to that man. Oh, uh, dude, if you had to take a shot for every time you said "fuck," how dead would you be right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I knew better. I I knew better. I I've never had any of this stuff ever in my life. I knew what not to say around that man. So, but, uh, no, you know, it was, it was there to be there. It did its purpose. It wasn't anything spectacular, though. I feel like uh, that sums it up so well. It was there to be there. So, oh, this is, uh, that's the he's, one. he's another one that I feel that this was his last hurrah in the WWF because I mean, he pretty much became a straight up enhancement talent. Not too long after this on his way out. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I remember that because he was in, he was booked in some tag match on superstars against Sheik and Volkov. I can't remember who his, who Kirshner's tag team partner was. I think it may have been dusty wolf. And I was like, <laughs> You've got to be fucking kidding me. This is what we're doing with them. We're just going to start jobbing them out now. Because at that yep. point, I knew, I knew what jobbing out was. Pissed yeah. off. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. The third match in Chicago. And this was really the match that the whole Chicago pr- promotion was built around. This was the big battle royal between with the WWF and the NFL players. A lot of them representing the Chicago Bears. T- Taylor, I think it, it was you that, that mentioned this was right. I mean, just weeks after the Bears had won the Super Bowl. Um, of course, Andre the Giant is going to win this thing. I mean, who else is going to win this? Um, the, he gets nine minutes and 13 seconds. Not not too short of time. Not I guess it could have been a little bit longer. Um but let's run down this list here of the the participants. 
for the NFL, you had Jimbo Covert, you had Harvey Martin, you had Ernie Holmes, uh, Bill Fralick, Russ Francis, and William the Refrigerator Perry. Uh, Don't forget the, about the referee. I forgot his first name, but his last <laughs> name, Buckus. Oh, Dick Buckus and Ed Tall Jones. I forgot his name referees. was Dick Buckus. God, his parents did not want him. Uh, <laughs> you do not so, name a child that you want to bring into this world Dick Buckus. Holy <laughs> shit. I see why he became a football player. He's probably tired of getting kicked his, uh, his ass kicked in high school. Well, it's certainly a, a, a different time back then, for sure. Uh, for the WWF re- representation in this Battle Royal, there's a lot of names on, or not a lot, but there's a, a few names on here that stand out to me that had um, WrestleMania moments, or they were on a WrestleMania card that not a lot of people r- remember. The two that stand out, especially for me, is... Um, Bruno Sammartino was, mm. was a part of this, and Pedro Mar- Morales, two former WWF world champions. Now, when Hogan won the title the, the first time, he was only the ninth WWF champion. Isn't that crazy to think about? So that that's is- a testament to how long Sammartino held on to that title between his two reigns. Backlund had it forever. Uh, Billy Graham had, had it for like 10 or, or 11 months. But you look back on that, they didn't have a, a, the vast number of former world champions that they do nowadays. San Martino and, and Morales are a part of this thing. They're joined with Danny Spivey, Tony Atlas, Ted Arcidi, who I also loved. I loved Ted Arcidi. Hillbilly Jim, the Iron Sheet, the Killer Bees, the Heart Foundation, and of course, Big John Stud. Uh, I really wish that the Killer Bees. Okay, I'm happy that you picked me first. I really wish that the Killer Bees would have came out like ten years later, so they could have had a Wu Tang Clan gimmick. That would have been <laughs> fucking hot. <laughs> um, I mean. This might be a controversial statement. I will try to defend it the best I can. I'm not a fan of Battle Royals. I love the variations that have been done to the Battle Royal. In particular, I think that the Royal Rumble format is perfect because you get a steady stream of dudes. It's not 20 people in the ring at once trying to get their shit in. I think that battle royals are really difficult to follow up until it's down to, like, the last eight dudes, so it kind of takes me out of it. Now, that said, once it got down to the last eight, of which San Martino was one of them, as it should be, uh, I started to enjoy the match a lot more. I really enjoyed that the last three dudes were the Heart Foundation and Andre the Giant, and... You got to see Brett and Jim try to 
work together to eliminate the giant, but the giant was able to outpower him, and it was a fantastic end. I just, uh, it took a while to get there. Uh, Rex, you know, the one thing, I mean, aside from Andre winning, the one thing that this match really prominently featured was, uh, Big John Studs just hatred for professional football players coming into WrestleMania 2. And that was not just a work. Like, he was legitimately pissed off about the football players being involved in this battle royal, specifically William Perry, who is like the poster child of the Chicago Bears between he and quarterback Jim McMahon at this point. But it was, I mean, all the promotion was around William, the the refrigerator, Perry, very charismatic. Um, but during a, a pre-match promo, you started to, you saw, you know, Big John Studd on full display in his hatred that the football players were involved because he almost went nose and nose with, with, with Bill Freilich. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, I do. Actually, I remember the uh, the promo very well because <clears throat> you could just see how angry and mad and everything it was. And even if they gave him just the stupid little toy football or whatever, it was, even though it wasn't even a an NFL ball, it was more like a you know a high school ball or a a middle school ball or whatever. But he sits there and literally crushes, pops that thing in his hands. It's like, dude, you're gonna you know, blow a blood vessel before you even get in the ring, you know, uh, but I'm not going to lie. I popped for that big. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was pretty cool, but I mean, and you wind up hearing the audio of them, you know, calling the match back in the, you know, back in the ring again, the battle Royal overall. Eh, I mean, I wasn't a big I wasn't a big fan of it. I'm surprised with the pop that Perry had at the time that he didn't, that he wasn't one of the final four. Like, I understand, you know, Stud eliminating him and then him eliminating Stud. I can understand that, you know, they do the whole handshake, pull him over the top. I can understand that they didn't do anything after that, which kind of made that a little pointless uh, to do the whole handshake and pull him over the top thing. Um, I think it would have gotten a little better because if Perry would have just eliminated Stud and it just been Andre and Perry and the Hart Foundation, I think the Hart Foundation being able to outsmart Perry would have been a better angle, a better way to eliminate him and lead better into the ending that we got, uh, which was, you know, Andre headbutting Jim and Jim taking one of the goofiest over-the-top eliminations I've ever seen in my life at that point in time. I literally watched Jim do that, and I was like, the hell just happened? <laughs> right. He had to do like he basically had to do like a full ballerina twirl just to get you know just try and get himself over the top, and then uh, you know Fred Hart getting dumped to the floor. 
But that's the power of Andre the Giant. Yeah, and and you noticed even back then, you could tell even in two how bad the legs and everything and the agrimelia was getting at that time because he's got Brett one hand, rest of the body resting on top of the head, but he's got a hold of the top rope the entire time. Right. As he's getting as he's getting into position to throw him. So you could tell the balance and everything even back then was off. And then of course Andre did his famous spot where he got tied up in the ropes. And I never realized back then just how loose those ropes had to be for him. But right. now that you know I've been in a few rings, I was like, okay, I understand this now. Get, you know, any other time his arms would have been cut off by then. Taylor, how enamored were you about with with Andre the Giant at at this point? I, he still was the guy, like from when Hogan slammed him and going it like everybody was still scared of Andre. I was scared of Andre. I I wanted to see him win. I figured nobody else would beat him in that match. But uh, back to what he said about how the Royal Rumble is, I I rather have everybody just start off and have a bar fight in the ring. Just, just get it going. Just get rolling. It's what I liked about the, the NWA when they were doing the bunkhouse brawls. Yeah. That was literally just everybody show up in, in whatever you wanted, street clothes, tape fists, cowboy boots, and just beat the snot out of each other until you eliminate each other. Tim, I know you've been wait, waiting to talk about this. Um, Andre the Giant. <laughs> You know, the last guy that, that he eliminates is one of your faves, <laughs> if not your fave, Brett the Hitman Hart. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> um, leading up to this, if you would have told me that the Hart Foundation would have been the last uh, couple in the ring with Andre, I would not have believed it just the way that everything w- was being built up. I, I thought it definitely would have been like one of the, like, uh, like uh, Rex said, like maybe have refrigerator in there at the end instead of Russ Francis. But, um, yeah, but either way, I just remember being, I, I mean, I was ecstatic that Bret Hart was the last one eliminated and I did not like, uh, I wasn't a big Andre fan either. I, I, I liked it when he turned heel because I thought he was going to beat Hogan, but, um, you know, I had heard so much about Andre before I had actually seen him and um, I was like, wait, this is the guy everybody's talking about. But I didn't realize that it was that younger Andre was amazing. <laughs> uh, right. But, you know, I didn't realize that he, he was hurt and, and old. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I do have to say, too, that, I you know, I don't know how much training they gave the football guys, but none of them really looked horrible. Not that they did a lot, but uh but none of them looked bad, like uh, oh. for being like celebrities and non-wrestlers. I thought they did did a pretty good job. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you definitely got to have Andre win it, especially. I I don't know if they would have known that they were gonna. I doubt that they would have known that they wanted to turn Andre heel at this point and have him challenge Hogan at WrestleMania three. But maybe they did. Uh, but either way, yeah, you got to give it to Andre. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's hard to judge a battle royal. But um, you know, I would say that this is one of the one of the better ones. I agree with that. Um, and r- rounding out the the Chicago portion of this, uh, this for me is the match of the night. 
It, it's the longest match on the card, 13 minutes, just over 13 minutes. Uh, new World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions are crowned. The British Bulldogs are finally at the top of the mountain with the victory over the Dream Team. That, of be, that, that, that of course, being Brutus Beefcake, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Uh, this, this was a very cool matchup. The British Bulldogs, any, anytime they are in the ring, you have my attention. Um, they're managed by Captain Lou Albano, but they have Ozzy fucking Osborne in their corner, which, from a promotional standpoint, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Johnny Valiant is the manager of the Dream Team. Um, for me, I mean, now that I'm older and, and I have a better appreciation for the work ethic in these matches, um, Taylor, where were you, man? The, the British Bulldogs very much on fire here in 86, and they finally become the champions. Yeah. Uh, that was big for them. But at the same time, Greg Valentine was my guy, man. I felt like... Really? I, yeah, I felt he had a better figure for it than Ric Flair. There it is. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Holy shit, are we going to get an episode where I don't have the controversial statement of the yeah. night? <laughs> there it is. Yeah, because I remember when uh, later in his career, he used to wear this brace on his leg, and he was spinning yeah. it around to put you on the figure four, and I'm like, oh, man, he's about to break somebody. That, that shit. Yeah. Yeah. The shin guard. Yes. Yeah. It was a good uh, match. Yeah, it really was. Like yeah. I said, I mean, tag team wrestling is on full display here, man. And mm -hmm. it just, you had two great combinations. Everything was a perfect storm with these guys. Um, the rivalry was well established. Dream Team, you know, uber over as heels, having won the titles from the U.S. Express in November of 85, I, I believe it was. Uh, maybe August, I, but November stands out for some reason. Um, but it all culminates here, man, in the Bulldogs on this grand stage of WrestleMania two. Uh, Tim, you know, for me, brother, this is the match of the night. Where where are you at with it? Yeah, I, t I totally agree. This was definitely the show stealer, and um, I did love the Bulldogs too. Um, it, it, and I, I actually, I was a fan of all, all four of these guys at the time, honestly. Um, but I wasn't expecting it. Just, I mean, not that it wasn't built up, but it wasn't built up the way that the other matches were. So I just wasn't expecting it to be the show stealer. Um, the only, my only minor quibble with it would be the ending. It just seems like it was a very odd, odd way to end it. And um, I don't know if uh, if Dynamite got busted open hard way or not, but if not, he's another one that uh, bladed for no reason. Yeah, it was it was a really weird situation here, Rex, where you had uh, I believe it was the the Dynamite kid was up on the turnbuckles. Uh, one of the Dream Team is Irish whipped into it. The headbutt occurs in the corner. The guy goes down, the pinfall is made, we got new champs. Kind, kind of uh, like nobody saw that, that ending coming because it, it seems like it took the crowd like a second or two to realize, holy shit, this match is over and the Bulldogs have won, right? 
Yeah, it was. I mean, everybody was used to Dynamite doing the headbutt off top and getting the cover. So in terms of the way I looked at it, it made a lot of sense because, like I said, the finisher for the Bulldog was the running power slam and then Dynamite off top with the headbutt. So for him to... Somebody coming into him head-to-head... He falls the outside. The other guy collapses down. That, to me, actually made a lot of sense because, you know, obviously that was a finish um, for the Bulldogs normally. So, to me, it actually made a lot of sense. Um, in terms of catching people off, I think they thought because he went to the outside, it was still a legal guy, even though, you know, uh, Davey's the one that makes pin uh, that gets the win. I loved the match. I thought it was just beautifully done, beautifully written. You almost forget to a point how much of a speedball out of the gate Dynamite was. Because, I mean, in that match, he outruns Greg, like, out of the gate. Greg's, like, sauntering when he gets whipped off. And before he knows it, Dynamite's, like, right there in his face. Like, oh, hey, I'm here to knock you over. So. Oh, I got that. Yeah. Like, for me, I thought it was, like Jason said, I thought it was match of the night. Uh, I was really geeked about it. Uh, They won in my eyes to this day. uh, Still the greatest set of tag team titles that have ever been in uh, WWE wrestling period. Um. Just like Taylor, I do believe back in the day that Valentine did have a better figure for. Uh, you know, I didn't really get to see flares until around WrestleMania three, I think three or four. Um, when I was when we moved to our new house and we actually had cable, so I could get TBS. But uh, to me, I thought just the way Valentine put his on was. Just had a little bit more flair to it, a little bit more realism to it than uh, what flair did. But uh, you saying that it had a bit more flair, was that an intentional pun? <laughs> Maybe, who knows. But yeah, overall, the match was great. You know, I didn't have a problem with okay. it at all. Pope, real quick, what's, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, and, and the Dream Team. I don't really have a whole lot to add. I definitely agree that it was the match of the night. Fantastic match. Uh, Dynamite Kid's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, one thing I'm surprised no one's brought up yet is how obviously coked up Ozzy Osbourne was this whole show. Uh, I, don't know, I, I don't know if it was that or if he was just drunk. It was one of the two, but yeah, you could tell. What One way or the other, I think that as much as I enjoyed the match, my favorite moment from it was afterwards seeing... Uh, Drunk, coked up Ozzy Osbourne trying to figure out how to hold the title belt. That made my fucking year. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to the final portion, the final leg, as it were. This is Los Angeles, California, the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. Um, this would be the first of two times that this building is going to host a WrestleMania. Um, it kicks off, man. You you, you want to talk about work rates? Want to talk about um, matches that I mean were good, 
but it had so much more potential to be great. Uh, maybe if they had a little bit more time, that could have been a thing. But seven minutes, 27 seconds, we see Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who I think we can all agree is one of the absolute all-time best in-ring performers from bell to bell Um, he's gonna he's going to take on and defeat uh hercules hernandez here and this was before heenan family hercules this was with the long hair the longer beard the, the brown gimmick shit that he was wearing um taylor where where were you at here with with ricky the dragon steamboat and hercules uh I didn't really like Hercules too much until he got with Heenan and then was, you know, carrying a big chain around his neck and all that. Right. But uh, Ricky Dragostimo, he he been one of my favorites ever since him and uh, Macho Man was going back and forth when he jumped off the uh, Macho jumped off and hit him with the bells in the throat and he couldn't yeah. talk. the match, so it it was one of the better matches at uh, WrestleMania too. I agree, hurt uh, Rex. Almost called you Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Herc was, I think, a unique character, but like Taylor said, uh, built up much more after he got with Heenan. Um, his original start with uh, her with Hercules was with uh, Slick, and that kind of helped. But until until Slick, until he did the angle where Slick. Sold off Hercules to Bobby because he was bringing in, um, uh, Ron, uh, not Ron Simmons, Butchery. That's it, Butchery. Um, yeah. Hercules was kind of on the cusp of becoming mid card, he was more lower card, just starting to get the push. Uh, Steamboat obviously again outworks him though, and a uh. A decent match to open up that side. Tim? Uh, so going back even, I think, a little bit further than Slick, I, I want to say that he was originally brought in with Fred Blassie. Um, I, I could be wrong on that, but uh, in my memory, that's what happened. And then I think he sold some of his guys to Slick. But um, I'll have to check into that, but either way, um, yeah, this was a, a great match. Um, you know, like you said, Steamboat's one of the greatest of all time. Hercules should have got a bigger push. He should have got the push that he got in my LJN league because he was like my longest running champion. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just never quite panned out. And then when he turned against the Heenan family, I thought for sure he was going to finally get a, a good singles push. I mean, he, you know, I'm sure he was happy with what he was getting paid, and he had a long career in there. But, um, but it just seemed like everybody. I mean, I everybody I knew was was always kind of surprised that he never got a bigger push in there. Uh, real quick, to to your point um, with with the whole manager thing. Yes, Hercules came in with Freddie Blassie. He also, and I'm talking about Blassie here, also managed Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Um, <clears throat> when Blassie announced his his retirement, he sold the con he sold the contracts of Sheik, Volkov, and Hercules to Slick. Okay, uh, Pope, all right. Uh, this was a pretty strong match, in my opinion, to to open up L.A. 
Um, I guess I should I, I should have mentioned this uh, with 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 the with the Chicago part. Uh, Monsoon and Mean Gene Oakland were on the call with uh, Kathy Lee Crosby. And then uh, here we had Lord Alfred Hayes, Jesse Ventura, and Elvira on, on the call here. But uh, Steamboat over Hercules here. Fantastic match. Uh, I really don't have a lot to add to this. Uh, just bell to bell, really good. Um, I didn't really think much of Hercules Hernandez going into this. I rethought a lot of that. Uh, apparently, I need to watch more of his work because uh, he had a hell of a match. I don't know how much of that was his dance partner, but no, I really enjoyed this one. Okay. Also, because uh, you mentioned her. Oh, Elvira, God, I love you. I don't care that you're 84 now. Marry me, please. Uh, now... From a good opener to the drizzling shits, uh, we have a- adorable Adrian Adonis <laughs> with a victory over Uncle Elmer in three minutes and one second. I can't even believe you want to talk about jobber match. I I don't know why this this motherfucker was, was even on the card, bro. I'll, I'll I'll be straight up with you. I would have rather seen Jake Roberts and George Wells go you know take their time. To add to theirs, have a six-minute decent match than this this sloppy motherfucker right here. Uh, Rex, what's 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 your thought here? <laughs> this was literally the only black eye, honestly, of the whole thing. I mean, I I I get the understanding of Uncle Elmer, you know, really big guy who could actually still move and stuff, but good it was just, it was pointless. It was pointless. It didn't do anything for either guy. It didn't put either guy over. It didn't make him look great. They, you know, they both just, you, you felt bad for Adrian having to do that match. Just because it, it wasn't necessary. They could have right. made, they could have put Adonis in this and just made a six man with Adonis and the Funks. Versus Junkyard Tito and one other person, and it would have been a better Cousin thing. Junior. <laughs> oh dear Lord, no! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I, uh, Pope, what's what's your thought here? I mean, this match sucks shit from a bendy straw, but I will give credit where credit is due. Adrian Adonis was selling his ass off. From bell to bell, and that deserves to be commendable because it made the match watchable. Yeah. Beyond yeah. that, to call this the drizzling shits would be to insult the drizzling shits. <laughs> uh, t- uh, Taylor, what's what's your thought here? Where where were you on the adorable Adrian Adonis? It's the best match of the whole damn thing. We yeah, I knew you were going to say something like this. <laughs> uh, but, uh, six and a half stars. This is off the yeah. charts. Yeah, six and a half out of 40. It was... Uh, <laughs> it, it was it was shit. But Adrian and I, uh, I guess that was gold dust before gold dust was gold dust. Right. But, right. yeah. Next match. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, what's what's your thought, real quick here? 
Uh, so Adrian Adonis was awesome. And uh, I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people forget how great he was. Um, another guy, again, I think it was uh, Uncle Elmer's last hurrah in there, too, because he was pretty much gone, I think, right after this. Um, and, uh, yeah, not only was he a, a shitty in this match in the ring, but uh, <laughs> if you've ever heard about people talk about him in real life, he was like a major piece of shit outside the ring, too. So uh, I think this was just the way to, like, kind of move him along out of there. Uh, this is one of those cases where where life imitates art. So yeah, I I I get it. Um, okay, now this next match, this this for me was the sleeper match. Like you got four solid talents in here in a tag team match. Great tag team match. Could have. I mean, both of these teams should have been more prominently fe- featured in in the division, in my opinion. Um, Real quick, we'll we'll go around the horn here. Um, Eleven minutes, 40, 42 seconds. Uh, Haas and Terry Funk get the win over the Junkyard Dog and Tito Santana. Uh, Tim, I feel like you have a strong opinion on this. Um, well, and let me just say that I did not appreciate the Funks at the time. I did not right. appreciate Terry Funk until after he had left WWF and I thought uh, Dory Funk Jr. or Haas Funk was kind of out of place in WWF at the time, but I would probably put this as my second favorite match of the card. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm glad that they gave them the time that they did. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I was glad to see the Funk brothers get a big victory and, um, and yeah, I uh, I really I really liked this match as well. And I hated Tito Santana at the time. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> you know, later on he became like one of my all time favorites. I mean, he he was great, but for whatever reason, I hated Tito at the time. So I was very happy that the Funks got a victory. And it was almost they were almost uh, I should say this, especially for WWF, they were almost teasing a little bit of hardcore stuff in this match. All right. Yep, you're absolutely right. Uh, Taylor, where where were you on, on, on this one? Because I feel like, because I mean, for me as a young fan, I was pissed off about the, the, the result of this match. Looking back, now I'm older, I, I have a better appreciation for it, man. But at the time, I hated the Funks um, because they were with, with uh, the Mouth of the South. I was a huge uh a huge fan of of the dog and Tito Santana, um, so this match pissed me off. He, he, I mean, even though it was awesome from bell to bell, I was not happy with with the result. Yeah, well, neither. It was a good match, but uh, I liked the dog. I didn't really like Tito Santana until him and Rick Martel like tagged up and got strike for us. But yeah, yeah, that's when I really started liking Tito Santana. But uh. Terry Funk always been, he's always been like a great brawler wrestler. Always, you know, and I Even don't think at was, I don't think at this point that I realized that he was a former well, both these guys, former NWA World he, World Heavyweight Champions. I had because they they never talked about what they did prior to coming to the WWF, right? 
Uh, Rex, what's what's your thought here? Uh, yeah, I the kid me is following the same lines as you guys. Uh, you know, we didn't know back then because, you know, back then you never talked about the competition. Uh, so in our eyes, these guys had never wrestled anywhere else besides the WWF. That was it. Um, so yeah, you know, I was, I was a fan of JYD. I was a fan of, of, uh, Tito's. I never understood why he never had another run with, uh, the Intercontinental title, even, you know, even before, you know, he lost it to Savage, you know, not getting another run, even if it was just off screen, not really on TV, uh, Match overall wise was good. I liked it. I still watched it. I still enjoyed watching it last night. I uh, was just as frustrated. But when I look back at it now, I'm like, now all four of these guys in that match are favorites of mine. A lot of, you know, watching a lot of their stuff. I think it was a great lead into what was, you know, the main event of the show. I agree with that. Pope, where, where are you at here, man? Um, good match. Not a whole lot to add from that respect. Uh, I definitely agree. Sleeper hit. I didn't even know that this match was on the card. I guess I missed over it. So it was a nice little treat. Um, two observations. One, uh, I did not realize how much at this time that Dory Funk Jr. looked like a skinny Nikolai Volkov, but he did. Holy shit, he did. Um... (laughs) And also, it still bothers me that Dory Funk Jr. wasn't Dory Funk Jr. in the WWF. I get it. Other promotions didn't exist. Wrestling history is non-existent outside of New York. But it's Dory Funk Jr., man. Come on. I agree. I agree. Um, All right. So you had another point. Oh No, I was just going to say beyond that fantastic match. Okay. It all boils down to this, right? Because, I mean, in this era, it all came down to what Hulk Hogan was doing. Here, he's closing out WrestleMania in L.A. Um, He gets the victory in 10 minutes, 15 seconds in the steel cage over King Kong Bundy. The visual of this is probably more impressive than the actual in-ring action, looking back on it. Because you had great big ass Hulk Hogan, huge, you know, Bundy. But the real star of this thing, in my, in my opinion, now that I look, look at it from a more experience, from a different perspective, is the big blue cage. Mm-hmm. Because that thing is just impressive to look at. And I realize it was a huge pain in the ass to transport, to put up, to tear down, whatever. Um, but Taylor, man, as, as fans, as young fans, it all came down to Hulk Hogan. This was the culmination of this big rivalry. It happens inside the, you know, the big blue cage. What was your thought, um, as far as being the main event of a WrestleMania? He had to be the main event. And. Like, Hulk Hogan was my guy. Like, I don't know how many times I got in trouble because my mom found T-shirts that I ripped up in the basement acting like I was Hulk Hogan. I'm trying to throw them beside or hide them somewhere. 
I think we all did that a couple of times, right? I, well, maybe not you, Tim, but you know, like like Rex, I I know, you know, this is our peak fandom here, man. And I know, and, and it's funny that that Taylor mentioned it because Jeff and I got our little asses busted a couple of times because we went through <laughs> and destroyed a good portion of our T-shirts, ripping it off like Hulk Hogan did. Um, here at WrestleMania two, the first time the WWF Championship is on the line in at at WrestleMania, it's in the cage. It's Hogan. It's Bundy. What's your what's your thoughts, real quick? I- like everybody else, it's just it was the match you waited on. It was the match you you loved to death. I still love watching just that match by itself because uh, the build up was great. The storyline for it was great. Um, I've had the pleasure of talking with Bundy one time about it. Um, you know, you've heard what Hogan said about it before. Ogan said basically they felt sore for like three, four days afterwards because they didn't hold back on each other. They really went at it. They crushed each other as much as possible uh, right. to make it as believable as it was. Uh, the one thing I always found funny with Hogan in any cage match was Hogan always had to go over the top. Hogan never left through the door. Ever, Hogan was right. always going to win every time over the top. He did that on Saturday night's main event. He did that here as well. Um, yeah, that's because so only chicken shit pussies use the door. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they sold the ribs really well in the match, and you know, I thoroughly liked it. I thought it was a good match. I'd still put it probably second best on the show, though to the Bulldogs, but, you know. Uh, It was a solid match. Um, I always feel weird watching Hogan WWF matches because I know how much more he was capable of in the ring. Uh, I've seen a lot of his New Japan stuff and comparing New Japan Hogan. You see how Steve lit up when I said New Japan? Um, compare, <laughs> comparing New Japan Hogan with WWF Hogan, it, it's it's like watching a racehorse with two of its legs duct taped to each other. Um, you know, the pomp, the circumstance, the gaga behind the match, it made it fantastic. It was a WrestleMania main event worthy match, but... Uh, I've always got that little grain of salt with a Hogan WWF match because I've seen this dude wrestle fucking circles around what he did in the WWF. Yeah, but, he's he's not lying. The, the 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 stark contrast between how much freedom he had in New Japan compared to what he did in WWF was mind-blowing like i've watched him in Inoki and literally went who the hell is this guy if he would have worked this style in wwe at the time i'm almost scared to think of how much bigger he would have been if he would have worked that style 
right. who is this young blonde man? Ter- Terry Boulder. Who is this Japanese fellow? Uh, Tim, what's your thoughts here? Hogan and Bundy. So as far as Hogan goes and from what those guys are saying, back in the day, I thought everybody had to be like on Bobby Eaton's uh, level of working. But I am going to go ahead and defend Hogan's work in WWF and say that he didn't have to do the stuff that he did in Japan to get over in, in WWF. So, you know, work smarter, not harder. Yeah, that's and, fair. Uh, so, uh, you know, I got to give give Hogan credit for that. Um, I remember thinking that the big Luke Cage was stupid. Uh, but, I mean, I understand why they did it. They, they said, you know, leading up to it that it had to be reinforced for Bundy in case he wanted to climb over the top. And, um, and and what, what Pope said about being a chicken shit going through the door, I mean, he's almost right because the good guys would always go over the top, it seemed like, for the most part, and the bad guys would always try to, like, take the easy way out the door. So I think that was part of it. I mean, it, plus it, it's just more dynamic looking for somebody to go over the top, top of the cage. But, um, you know, I, I could handle the cage for WrestleMania 2, but it sucked that they kept using it for so long after that um i it just it just bothered me because i like the old school cage obviously um i did get used to it but um but yeah as far as the match goes uh so i don't know like i said i don't know if if uh dynamite and corporal kirshner got busted open hard way or not uh i'm pretty i'm, I'm pretty sure kirshner didn't but uh it seems like they would have like not had those guys do that just to make it a little bit more uh, just to give it a little bit more oomph that, that Bundy was bleeding in the cage. Um, right. I mean, that's just stuff that I notice nowadays, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of a typical Hulk Hogan match. Um, you know, it was fine for what it was. And I'd probably, because what they did was after I had watched it on VHS, they started showing it on HBO or Showtime and they showed it a lot that summer. So I would watch it every time. So, I watched that match I don't know how many times. And uh, as far as cage matches go, I would probably put that in one of the maybe top five cage matches of all time. I, I'd agree with that. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, this this was a fun show to break down. There was a whoa, lot. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, hang on. We can't wrap up yet. What the fuck do you mean you don't like the big blue cage, Tim? Uh, so if you were going to, like, throw somebody into the cage there's like about a space about this big that they could like stick their head through to miss the cage compared to the old school fence cages that's it's why about, that's why i hate it what's that it's also about a space that big that you can get a fucking camera through and get a decent camera angle for well most of the camera guys are outside because <laughs> no, anyway. you wanted to like see the cage you had the visual of the cage the camera going through the cage it made it so much better <laughs> These days, the yeah, you, these days, yeah, you could do some cool stuff like that. Back in 1984, when cameras were oversized potatoes, didn't really work so well. Uh, I just we'll had just have to, to uh, agree to disagree there on that one, folks, <laughs> because uh, the old school cage. And I'm glad that they, well, they, what, they brought it back. They oh, brought yeah, it back no, for the reasons that I'm saying. No, they brought it back, only now they're smart enough to cut out little squares where the camera goes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And 
and you know for footholds too so while they're trying to climb something they've got something to put their feet through but this this was a very good a very good topic and taylor i really appreciate you putting this you know, on the table for us. This, you know, it's fun bring, bringing you on this week. Um, like I said, a lot to unpack here. There was a lot of firsts that were incorporated with this WrestleMania, and this was really during the the midst of this really major concentrated effort to expand the World Wrestling Federation from just being a Northeastern territory into a worldwide phenomenon that it would have eventually become. And WrestleMania two is a huge piece of, of that, of that building block. So it was fun, man. And, and, uh, you know, for all of our esteemed panel here, I, you know, it's always cool to be, to be able to, to sit down, kind of look back at, at these old shows and kind of look at them through fresh set of eyes when a lot of times with the benefit, of hindsight being 2020 um next time that we we that we come on here where we um are going to board the turnbuckle time machine we're going to go and check out um ecw's barely legal i believe is that the one fuck yes yes <laughs> yes their very first pay-per-view holy okay. fuck a show i'm gonna almost enjoy oh. <laughs> i like how you said almost Right. I haven't seen Barely Legal in a while. I don't want to put words in my mouth. Listen, I doesn't want a Starcade repeat. Uh, exactly. I... I had to eat some fucking crow, specifically crow sting. <laughs> uh, yeah, this will be my first time sitting down and watching an ECW pay- a pay per view from beginning to end. I've seen highlights and I've seen clips. Um, but yeah, we're gonna check out barely legal. It was this ninety-seven? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we are going I'm looking forward to to diving into this and uh you know, kind of breaking this down with, with you guys next time. Taylor Baker, thank you so much for, for coming on to the show this week, my friend. Thanks, man. My my absolute pleasure. Uh, and for everybody else, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your week to give the show a listen. You can, you can check this out as well as all of our great shows under the Jackal Creations Podcast Network. Just go to klaustotheheart.net for all of the latest news and information. And we got some big things on the horizon here. So we're very, very excited about it. So take care of yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time on the Turnbuckle Time Machine. Don't forget the flowers.